first of all, I have got to um, set my timer because I don't think I remember the last time I preached a 15-minute sermon. Certainly nobody that's heard one of my sermons can remember it. <laughs> I better set a timer so I, I know when to quit. Ah, that song, I don't know where it went. I was watching elsewhere, but that song, what a beautiful prayer for us today. Um, let's pray. Father in heaven, that song, as we listened to it, as we read the words on the screen, that beautiful music and the beautiful words, I pray today that song for this congregation this morning. Amen. Was there anybody here today that was personally affected by the fires? No? Okay, good. Well, that's great. How many of you know Jonathan Vi? He was a member here for some time. Um, I'm not sure where he's attending now. I think Twin Peaks, maybe not. I don't know. Regardless, uh, they lost their home. Um, and he considers it an absolute miracle from God that they were able to, to leave and get out. Ten minutes ahead, his phone informed him that the alarm, fire alarms in his house were going off. When they left, ten minutes later, they got the word their house was on fire. It's gone. <laughs> but they're safe. As far as I know, no lives have been lost. I think there's two people that are still missing, but that doesn't mean they're, they're actually harmed. Uh, anyway, um, what, what a time we're living in. Hmm. Huh. If you, the reason I had asked the question about the bulletin, if you read it online, the bulletin had only Ben Trujillo. They didn't have Alex Rodriguez on there at all. And I thought that maybe all of those that read the bulletin, that's the reason there's such few people here today. <laughs> and my line was going to be, <laughs> I'm going to do my best on the first part of the sermon. We're going to split it into two parts. And I can only promise you that the second part will be marvelous. <laughs> and that's still true. Well, our first verse that I'd like on the screen today is 1 Peter 1.20. 1 Peter 1.20 he, that's Jesus, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, and, but was manifest in these last times for you. Here, here's where I want to take this. When the pastor talked to me about preaching today, he suggested that I go back to the crucifixion, hope for the past. And then Alex was going to take care and take us into the second coming. So I went back to the crucifixion. And we've all seen the charts as Adventists, right? You have, you know, uh, 1844 on one end, second coming clear at the other end, and you have, usually it starts back, and somewhere in the middle there, there's a cross. That's the crucifixion. That's not when the crucifixion took place. I mean, literally, it took place where that little cross is, is uh, painted, drawn, but the cross actually took place before this world was formed because when Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit came together and talked about creating this earth, they knew what would happen and they made a contingency plan for it ahead of time. And so they, Jesus gave himself then and I believe that he looked down through eternity and he saw you today at the camp in church. And he said, I want to save 
every one of those people, everybody that will accept me, I want them to be part of our universe forever. And so he gave himself up voluntarily to be on the cross for us, and he did that before the world was formed. Revelation 13.8 says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, that is, the beast, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Now here's where I want to take this. There was a person in heaven, a high authority in heaven, who was not part of that meeting and did not know what plans God had made for this planet. And that person was Satan. And we are told in the spirit of prophecy that he was angry about that. That's what started the rebellion that was in his heart. That's what began the rebellion in heaven where he began to insinuate things and started a rebellion that eventually led him eventually led him to open rebellion and he did not know the full plan that's the point I want to make there are some things that Satan knew about God in fact I think he probably considered it a weakness and thought that he had an advantage one of the things that he knew about God was that God is always true to himself, that he is holy, and that when he says something, he's not kidding, he will accomplish it. He will do what he says. And Satan considered that an advantage for him in this rebellion, because he wasn't held back by any such thing. The only constraints on Satan are those which God says this far and no farther, no further, speak correctly here. Um, but at any rate, that was it. Other than that, everything's open to him, and he'll try anything, and he'll go everywhere that he can. But God is constrained by his character, not by any position of sovereignty, but he cannot be untrue to himself, and he will not tell a lie. Um, Jude 1.9 takes us to where I want to take this, and that is that there was a time when Michael the archangel, which is Jesus Christ, after Moses had died up there on Mount Pisgah, climbed Mount Nebo and then down that saddle and up to Mount Pisgah, and he had died. Shortly after he died, Jesus went to resurrect him. And when he went to resurrect him, there was a crew waiting there and Satan had heard God tell Adam and Eve, if you sin, you will die. And when you die, you will go back to dust because you were made from dust. And Satan said, I know what God said, and I know he's constrained because he's always true to what he says. And Satan, I mean, Moses has not yet turned to dust. And you can't have him. He's my legal prey. And Jesus did not argue with him. Michael the archangel did not argue with him. He simply told him, the Lord rebuked thee. And he moved towards that site where the angels had buried Moses. And as they moved forward, Satan had no choice, him and his angels, but to fall back. And Jesus brought Moses back to life. This was a total deal changer. 
Satan had never, think about this and consider it and check me if I'm not telling the truth here. Nobody on this earth had ever died and then been brought back to life. First time. There, were, there was Enoch, for example, who had never died, but had been taken to heaven. And Satan couldn't keep track of him. Once he went there, he crossed those gates. It was only if God allowed him to, to see where, where Enoch was. But other than that, he didn't know what had happened to Enoch. But every other person, and remember by the time Moses came along, thousands, millions of people had died, had perished. And not one of them had ever come back to life. And Satan says, if I can just get everybody to fall, I will own everybody. I will own humanity. They will all be my subjects. I will be in control. I will be like God, in control. First time somebody dies, they become alive again. Satan is suddenly, whoa, what do I do here? Something has changed here. I've got to get this stopped somehow. And Satan's not stupid by any means. You talk about a theologian. All the revelation that he's been given, he starts to put things together. And he figures out that there is an atonement that is going to be made. Because that cross that happened on that chart where that little cross is drawn, that simply formalized what Jesus had done back at the foundation of the earth, before this earth was put into use and life formed on it and everything made beautiful, Jesus had given himself to that cross. Now he could have failed, but he was absolutely committed before this earth was committed that he would pay the sacrifice for sin so that you and I could have eternal life. Satan figures this out. So when Jesus comes along, he's waiting for this child who's going to be born to devour him. Uh, Revelation uh, 12, where it talks about the, the dragon, that great dragon. Uh, God is always true to his word. Uh, Numbers 23, 19 said, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Now, I want to go back to Moses again, because there's Moses. He had been God's faithful servant. Oh, he wasn't perfect. I mean, he starts out 40 years in Egypt, and then he makes a huge mistake, and he kills an Egyptian overseer, and he runs to Moab, and he's 40 years in the wilderness herding sheep. And then the last 40 years, he spends following the call from God, which he resisted at first, and becomes the leader of the children of Israel to bring them out and take them into the promised land. And he is a faithful servant of God, but he made a mistake. And God, let me find my verse here uh, so I can share it with you. Um, in Psalms 95, 11, it talks about the experience of the Israelites when they came out and they were not faithful to God. They were in constant grumbling and mumbling and rebelling. And he told, God said, Unto whom I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Hebrews 
It says, For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he had said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his work were finished from the foundation of the world. We who have believed, we who have believed, and when Moses and Aaron make that fatal mistake uh, of striking the rock twice, in Numbers 20, 12, the Lord spake, spoke to Moses and Aaron. He said, Because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land. So God was true to his holiness and to what he had said. Moses and Aaron must die in the wilderness. They cannot enter the promised land. They cannot lead the people in because God is holy. And even though that seems like such a small thing after all the faithful service, ah, but Moses, God knows what he's going to do. Moses' body won't even see corruption and Jesus comes and resurrects him from the grave. That is my hope in the crucifixion because Moses is the forerunner. If you've lost loved ones and they're in the grave, God has promised and he has given us an example and he is ready to bring our loved ones back at the resurrection morning. And if you pass away, I don't know how many friends I have lost this year to one thing or another. But I have every hope that I will see them again. And it is all based on this that took place at the crucifixion before the foundation of the world when Christ gave himself. There's an interesting quote from Ellen White where she says that it was a mystery in heaven and it was a painful process that we cannot understand when Jesus made that decision in heaven. He made that decision for you and I. Oh, people, if we would just understand that if we accept the sacrifice that Jesus provided to take our place, then we can take his place. We can have eternal life. And that will happen at the second coming. And I'm down to 42 seconds. Wow, I never thought I would ever finish a sermon on time. I'm going to ask uh, Dick uh, to come up and Tanisha, and they're going to lead us in the morning prayer, but it's going to be a special morning prayer. It's going to be a little bit different, so we're not going to kneel because this is called a prayer. This was back in the 1600s. And it's an invitation for us to respond as a congregation, and those who are online, you can respond to where you are. Uh, it's called a bidding prayer because you're invited to make a comment. A comment, six words, not six minutes, six sentences, <laughs> six words. And so I'm going to start with a invitation for us to look at this past year and the hope that we've had and things that have been fulfilled for us this year that we can give thanks to God for. So let's bow our heads as we pray. Father, we come to you and as we look at the past, there are things for which we give you thanks. And so now let the people of God give thanks. I give thanks for the success of our congregation. And now you may give thanks audibly.
infection fire for our families. And Father, now as we come to silence, may we each give you thanks personally between you and us. And Father, we do give you thanks because we have had hope fulfilled by your love. And now hear us as we pray for the needs of the future where our hope is in you. And Father, I would like to start this prayer time with Scripture, reading from Isaiah 40, starting with verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall not run and not be weary. They shall, not walk. They shall walk and not faint. And so, Father, you have given us this hope for the future. Father, you have given us your word. And today I ask that you hear our prayers as we ask for blessings on this new year that you have given us, that you have given us the opportunity to step forward into this new year serving you. Please join me. Father, for the blessings of your word that give us hope in the future that you have provided for us. For those that have a silent blessing that they would like to lift up to God now, we ask that you do that. And for those who are at home as well. And Father, we... We thank you that we can come to you and lift up our prayers to you. We thank you that you hear us and that, um, that you will bless us according to thy will. And so, Father, as we move forward in this year of 2022, 
As we move closer to your second coming, may we hold on to the blessings and the promises that you give us each day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning and happy Sabbath. So Ben, what do you get when you ask an evangelist to come up front? It's not a 15-minute sermon. I think that uh, I think that maybe that's why they put me at the end, because then it really I didn't bring my my, my phone to set my my alarm. So if I go a little over, is that going to be okay? Or oh, you'll set one for me. Hey, thanks, thanks. I'll get you back at work. Yeah, that's going to be a bummer. Where are you going to go? There's nowhere to go. It's snowing outside. You can't even barely move. I mean, we ought to just camp here. Did I ever tell you that I really don't like the snow? I'm a Puerto Rican stuck in, uh, in the north. I, keep, I, don't, I don't really complain about it to the Lord because every time I complain about it, he, he takes me to, to, to deeper snow country. I was in Canada just... Uh, just a few weeks ago, and did you know it was cold in Canada? Uh, yeah, Kim, uh, it's, it's, it's cold in Canada, brother. Uh, I was really thanking the Lord for the, for the hand warmer on the steering wheel. If you didn't ever think I'd need one, but man, I tell you what, that is just a blessing from God. Well, I, uh, I usually, t- it, t- it takes me, Joel actually texted me. He, he said, are you kidding? You've never preached a 12-minute sermon or 50. Ben, the pastor told me 12 minutes. <laughs> he told me 15, 12 All right, so in order to get done, I'm going to have to get started. Let's pray together. Father, today is Sabbath day, and what a a high Sabbath it is. Last week, Lord, was a high Sabbath as well. Uh, To have have Christmas and Sabbath all together, oh, what a blessing that that is. And and here we are the next week, and it's, it's the new year, and it's the Sabbath day. I can't wait, Father, to have our very first Sabbath in the kingdom of heaven. That'll be a new year for us, Father. That'll be, that'll be the start of, of eternity uh, with you. What a blessing that will be. But this morning, Father, we ask that you will be here. You've promised that uh, if we ask for your spirit, that you will give us your spirit. And so that's what we're asking for. This new year, this Sabbath day, this morning, Father, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to speak Oh, I'm going to speak and, and, and look into, into the Word of God, Lord, and, and there's nothing that I have to bring to the table, Father. I, I, I need your words. I need your, 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 your mouth, your thoughts to, to be expressed here. And so, Father, hide me behind the cross, and as we study the Word of God, let us draw close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles. Open with me. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, one of my favorite places in Scripture, one of my favorite stories in Scripture, Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. Luke 24, beginning at verse 13. And it says, Now, behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Verse 17. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? 
And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. And verse 21, here's where I want to go. Verse 21, listen to this statement very, very closely. Luke 24, verse 21, here it is. But we were hoping, we were talking about hope today, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. 4,000 years of history or so, uh, the Bible has been talking about the coming of the Messiah. The fact that one day the Lord would come, God would come, the Messiah would come, the Redeemer would come, the Savior would come. God would send somebody to get us out of this mess, pick us up out of the mire, and somehow save us. And here, all of a sudden, the disciples have met this particular man. He's a prophet, they believe. He's, he's powerful in word and deed. And in their minds, they're thinking, this must be the Messiah. In fact, he himself has said he is the Messiah, and so excitement has grown in their hearts. They, they want the Messiah to come. They've been waiting for the Messiah to come. All of a sudden, they're thinking to themselves, the Roman captivity is over. All of the stuff that we have been facing for the last many years, it is all over. We will one day again be the great nation that we are supposed to be. Thank goodness the Messiah is here. And then, that hope is crushed, that light is pulled out, the carpet is pulled right from under their feet, and Jesus is crucified. And now hope is gone, hope is broken. Maybe you feel like that. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here today and you feel like hope has just been stolen from you. This has been the last uh, terrible last two years. I mean, as you said, Ben, how many people have, have passed away? Friends, we can all count friends that we have known and acquaintances that have passed away over this pandemic and other things. And the stuff that's happening in, in Boulder, all the, I mean, when's the last time that you heard of at least 600, if not 1,000 homes burning down overnight, just like this? And the violence and all the things that are happening around the world, it's like every single day there's another shooting. Not to mention the, the, the very stuff that is tearing us apart and beating us down every single day. Our, our, our lives are falling apart and hope seems to be extinguishing. It seems to be disappearing. Where is God in this mess? Maybe you're sitting here today thinking, I don't have much hope left. And that's what the disciples were, were sensing as they, they walked on the road to Emmaus, not knowing who to believe and what to believe and what to hold on to. Hope is gone. I love this story because it really captures uh, the essence of, of the human heart and, and the reality of, of, of humanity, the, uh, the reality of that we are in sin, in so much sin that there really is not much hope. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel. I even marked my, my verses so I can quickly switch over and and, uh, and try to make that 15-minute. Ezekiel chapter 16. This is the way that, that the human state is described in Ezekiel chapter 16. Looking at uh, verse 4. Ezekiel 16, verse 4. As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. 
You were not rubbed with salt nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, I pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. But you were thrown out into the open field when you yourself were loathed on the day that you were born. Friends, that is a clear description of who we are and what we're facing here on this earth. We're a little baby, a little child, born and not cleaned up, thrown into the wilderness, uh, thrown to, to, to ourselves. We, we, we can't do anything for ourselves. We can't clean ourselves. We can't dress ourselves. We're just thrown out. That is the state of the human heart. That is the state of the human self. We're so sinful, the Bible says, that we can't do anything for ourselves. And when the disciples were walking onto the road to, the Emmaus, to Emmaus, that's, this is the concept that they were, they were understanding. They were seeing themselves in the mirror. We have no hope. We have, we have no future. What will happen to us if this is not the Messiah? What will happen to us? I mean, what are, we, what are we expecting then? Here comes a prophet, mighty in word and deed. He can heal the sick. He can multiply loaves and fishes. He can raise people from the dead. And if he couldn't stand against the leaders of the Jews and they crucified him, then what kind of hope do we have? All of that is running through their minds and, and they're staring at a mirror and they're realizing that they are so sinful they can't do anything for themselves. Maybe you're asking yourself that same question today. What's your future like? Do you have a future? Everybody's asking themselves that right now. Everybody. I mean, Stacy was looking at the news yesterday. We couldn't read the article because it was one of these news channels that wants you to subscribe. But, uh, but the title had to do with the end. Is this the end? Friends, that's the question on everybody's mind right now. Is this the end? And as an aside, not having to really do anything with this sermon, let me just share with you that there has never been a better time to do evangelism than today. Everybody is asking. Everybody is wondering. Is the world coming to an end? Is this a sign of the end? Could it all be coming to an end? And we, as the Seventh-day Adventist Church, hold the answers to those questions. The Word of God tells us exactly what's going to happen. Maybe today you're, you're just wondering, when is Jesus going to come? Am I ready? Am I ready for him to come? I mean, it's a new year, and oh Lord, last year wasn't that great. I mean, I, I wanted to study. Lord, I, I wanted to pray. It's just, I, just life got so busy. Lord, I, am I ready to come? Are you asking that question? What does the future hold? Is it hopeless? There are many in the world today, friends, that believe that it is hopeless that there is no reason to live. But the good news this morning is that we do have hope. We do have hope. And Ben, you painted a beautiful picture of the cross. The fact that, that we, we look at the cross and you're so right, it begins right from, from the beginning because Christ is the lamb slain from what? Foundation of the world. 
Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. Before we were created, Christ had already decided that He would give His life. And that to us is marvelous. We don't have time to cover that. And Ben has already done a wonderful job, so I won't go there. But what would have happened if Christ had stayed in that grave? What kind of hope would you have? This is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. And I'll take my handy dandy marker and I'll move it over. And now I'm at 1 Corinthians 15. Isn't that amazing? 1 Corinthians 15, if you have your Bibles, beginning at verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 12. It says this. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ when he did not raise up uh, it. I'm getting old and now I can't read my own Bible. Uh, Let's start, start verse 15. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ when he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. Verse 16. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are, we are of all men the most pitiable. Verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Let me share with you the way that uh, Ellen White describes that scene in Desire of Ages. This is page 779. Desire of Ages 779. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord, of the Lord descended from heaven, clothed with the... <laughs> I love this word. Clothed with the panoply. Is that right? Panoply? What a, what a funky word. Clothed with the panoply of God, this angel left the heavenly courts. The bright beam, beams of God's glory went before him and illuminated his pathway. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and become as dead men. Now, priests and rulers, where is the power of your guard? Brave soldiers that have never been afraid of human power are now as captives taken without sword or spear. The face they look upon is not the face of mortal warrior. It is the face of the mightiest of the Lord's host. The messenger is he who fills the position from which Satan fell. It is he who on the hills of Bethlehem proclaimed Christ's birth. The earth trembles at his approach. The hosts of darkness flee. And as he rolls away the stone, heaven seems to come down to the earth. The soldiers see him removing the stone as he would a pebble and hear him cry, Son of God, come forth. Thy father calls thee. They see Jesus come forth from the grave and hear him proclaim over the rent sepulcher, and I love this, I am the life and the resurrection. As he comes forth in majesty and glory, the angel hosts bow low in adoration before the Redeemer and welcome him with song and praise. Listen, friends, this morning we have hope. We have a great hope because our great God, the one who was slain from the foundation of the world, didn't just die and stay in the grave. No, 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 no. He is the resurrection and the life. In fact, Jesus says, I lay my life down and what? (laughs) You don't remember that verse? (laughs) Come on now. I lay my life down and... I, take it back again. 
That's the God that we serve. Christ himself says, I will lay my life down and I will take it back again. The good news of Scripture, the good news of the hope that we have is that the grave could not hold Christ. He has come out of the grave. He is alive and well, and we serve a living God. It's that living God that in in times way beyond in the before said, I am going to create each one of us in here. He saw you, he loved you, and he said, I cannot live without them. And he created us even though he knew that we were going to sin. It was that God that said, I will not only create them, I will also, from the foundation of the world, give my life for them. And so we are told in Romans that before, uh, while we were still sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. And it is that same God that came just in time. What chapter in Daniel tells us exactly when Jesus was going to come? Daniel chapter 9. If you don't remember that, read it at home tonight. Daniel chapter 9 tells us exactly when Christ would be here. And Christ came on time. Just like he said he would, he came. And just like he said he would raise up from the grave, he rose up from the grave. And just like he's promised he will come again, guess what? He will come again. We are a people of hope, friends. We hope not in things that we don't know anything about. God has given us all of Scripture so that we can know and be prepared for what is coming. And that is Jesus Christ. In closing, because I've only been preaching for about seven minutes now. (laughs) In closing, here, here's, what I've, here's what I've done. I got to thinking about the second coming of Christ and, and what this would look like and, and the story in the Bible, and I thought, what if, what if I just grabbed a bunch of verses? And uh, just a little bit here, you know, the Bible tells us here, a little there, a little, and what if I just mashed those up into like one concise little story? What would that look like? Um, and that's what I did. I, I, I sat around and I, and I was like, well, I, I like that verse. Let me, and, I, and I think that that verse goes first. And, and I think that this verse, some of you that are theologians, you might come back later and argue with me. Well, I really think that that's fine. So I'm not going to give you all the verses because then it, it would break the flow. Um, you can come to me later and I can email them to you or whatever. But uh, what I've done is I've just mashed a bunch of verses in the Bible together. And I'm just going to try to read down through them and just read the story the story of redemption, the story of the end. And this is, uh, this is what it looks like. I'll tell you where we're starting. We're starting in Daniel 12, 1a. That's the first part of, of Daniel 1. Here it is. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. 
And he called to the man clothed with linen who had the rider's inkhorn at his side. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who was found written in the book. Now I saw a new heaven. No, I'm sorry. Now I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? And the Lord said in my hearing, go through the city and kill. Do not let your eyes spare nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young maidens and little children and women. But do not come near anyone on whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the temple. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of an archangel, when the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And I love this part. This is, of course, Revelation chapter 21 coming up. Uh, you know this part very well. Revelation 21, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe every tear, away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, listen closely, he said to me, Write, write, for these words are... Two words, true and faithful. Right, for these words are true and faithful. Listen, friends, this morning, God's promise is that the hope that we have is true and we can have faith on it. We can have faith in a God that loves us so much that he created us even though we were going to rebel. We can have faith in a God that said, even if they rebel, I love them so much that I will make a way of escape and that way of escape will be me. I will take off my 
uh, my, my crown. I will take off my, my, my kingly garb. I will step off my throne. I will come down onto this earth and I will be crucified on the cross for them because I love them and cannot live without them. We can have faith and we can, we can have hope in that kind of God. We can have hope in the God that laid it out in Scripture and said, this is when I will come and that is when He came. We can have hope in the God that says, and I will not be stuck in the ground. I will rise again. And just like the Bible said, that is exactly what He has done. And we can have hope on the God that says, I am in heaven preparing mansions for you today. I am preparing mansions for you and there is no one, no one who should be left out because I have made a place for every single person. This morning, friends, God has made a place for you. There is a house with your name and it's a mansion and it's beautiful and there's a crown with your name and he wants to put that crown, personally put that crown on your head. Heaven will not be the same without you, friends. Heaven will not be the same. New Year's 2022, here's the decision that you have to make. It's really, really simple. Do you have hope in Jesus? Or do you put faith in yourself? That's really, that is really the battle of the great controversy. In whom will you trust? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If it's your desire to serve God this morning, I ask you to stand. Stand as I pray. Father, this morning, Lord, we, we, we're a, it's a high Sabbath, Lord. It is. It's a new year. It's a new year, and the, the, the closer, uh, or the, the more the, the years tick, the closer we get to your second coming, and we're looking all around, Father, and we're seeing right before our very eyes, Revelation 12, Revelation 13, Revelation 14, all of these things, prophetic things that you wrote, Father, all of this is happening before our very eyes, and we know, we know for sure that soon and very soon, you will come back through the clouds of glory. And what a day that will be. Oh, Father, we want to be a part of that. We want to be in your kingdom. We, we want to walk the streets of gold next to the sea of glass, reach out our hand and eat from the tree of life. Father, we, we want to meet our loved ones that have passed away, our friends. We want to really get to know our guardian angel that we have really put through the ringer over the years trying to keep up with us. Father, we want to see the patriarchs. We want to see the other world. We want to live with you in eternity. We want to praise you from Sabbath to Sabbath. We want to sing with the choirs of angels that sang when Jesus... Jesus was born. Lord, this is what we want. We're tired of this world. We're, 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 we're sick of the evil and the hate and the pain and the sorrow and the killing and the violence. Lord, we want you as Lord and Savior. And this morning, Father, we stand to make a public proclamation that we no longer want this world, but we want you. And so we ask, Father, that you will change our hearts. And through 2022, Father, that we will draw close to you and that you will draw close to us. And our prayer, Father, is that you will come, come soon and take us home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Sing with us. There's the wonder of sunset at evening. The wonder of
pray. Oh, Father in heaven, I pray for this congregation today. I pray, pray, Lord, that we will understand the love of God, that we will accept it. We will make it part of our lives and let it order our lives so that we might be in eternity with you. Oh, Lord, keep our faith alive as we keep connection with you. I pray, Lord, for each person that's here that, and, and for our loved ones, our families. Oh, Lord, help us to share the message of love that you have given to the world, most especially through your Son, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray these favors. Amen. Amen.